Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through 13. 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through 13. And if you are able, I ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. We're now the written word of God. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things." Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Pray with me, please. Lord, we pause as we come before your word. We want to recognize publicly that this is the very word of God. It's not man's best effort on paper. It is exactly what you intended to teach us, your church, concerning today one of the great offices in the church, that of deacon. Father, open our ears and our hearts to receive your word. Remove every distraction that might be in our minds or an issue of the day that's coming later. Lord, we cast all of our burdens upon you. We, We give those to you and ask that you free us, Father, that we might hear from you in your word today. Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know Jesus, draw that one savingly to yourself. For those of us who do know you, Father, and who are uh, members of your church, we pray that we would see today clearly what you have to say about the offices within the church, specifically today, the office of deacon. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we mentioned last week, in the month of August, we're focusing on the theme of leadership. And it was just seven days ago that Lad stood right here and preached on leadership from the book of Proverbs. Next week, Pastor Darrell will be bringing a message on leadership, specifically one of the offices in the church, the office of elder, which of course is an office of governance and shepherding within the church. But today, we're going to zoom in and focus on the second office in the church, the important God-given office of deacon. You see, just as Jesus Christ showed his loving concern, his care for people in the world, God has called deacons to give sympathy and service not only to those in the church, but to those in the world. As Hunter mentioned just a moment ago, we first see the office of deacon come up in the early church. It was in Acts chapter 6, the passage he read a moment ago. And that passage taught us that the disciples were busy devoting themselves to the Word of God and to prayer. But in the midst of that, There were many physical needs in the church that were 
not being met. In fact, the Bible says there were widows that were being neglected. So the disciples decided to pick out seven men, men of good repute. Key phrase being, they were full of the Spirit. They were full of wisdom. And they appointed these men to the duties of sympathy and service. And as we continue to read the Scriptures, as we look at the whole Word of God, we find that the deacons are called not only to do those deeds that they did in Acts 6, but also to collect and distribute money and goods within the church, to develop the grace of liberality within the members of the church, to take care of those in need, even to care for the property, the buildings that are part of the church. Simply put, you could say it this way, deacons are called to be God's ministers of mercy. So today, as we turn to that first book Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy, we find that the Bible teaches us that before a man is ordained to the office of deacon, Paul says his character should be examined. Alexander Strzok said it this way. He said, the New Testament makes the uncontested point that God's paramount concern, it's not with buildings or with programs, but with the moral and spiritual character of those who lead and care for his people. And we know this thought actually originated with Paul because that's exactly what Paul is talking about in this text. See, he lays it out to Timothy and he also lays it out to us. Even today, non-character qualifications for deacons. And he teaches us that before a deacon serves as God's minister of mercy, his character must be considered. So today we're looking at non-character qualifications for deacons. Now, wait a minute, because I guarantee I just lost half of you. Did your pastor just say he had a nine-point sermon? He did. <laughs> I told this to Deirdre last night. She threatened not to come today. But hang with me, if you will. We're not going to spend a long time on each point, but we are going to go through the nine points in this text. We're going to spend a couple minutes on each point. Paul lays it out for us, nine character qualifications for deacons. So in this month of August, as we focus on leadership, as we are nominating men to serve as deacons, it's important for all of us to know what the Bible says concerning this office of deacons. So let's look at these in, in your bulletin. If you have a bulletin on the left side of your bulletin, all nine points are listed, but we're going to spend a couple minutes on each one and we're going to move. We're going to move as we go through this. But what are the nine character qualifications of a deacon according to Paul's letter in 1 Timothy? Number one is found in verse 8. Deacons must be dignified. What does that mean? The word picture behind dignified is that which is serious or stately. In other words, it's one who understands the seriousness of many life situations. Now, that doesn't mean that this person is a cold, humorless person who's always serious all the time, but it does mean someone whose 
not going to be silly of import, you know, be silly concerning important matters. It also can be translated worthy of respect or honorable. That means that the inner thoughts, the attitude, the conduct of that man will be led by the Spirit. That great line that Honor read a moment ago from Acts chapter 6, verse 5, Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. You see, a dignified man is a Spirit-led man. And in his life, you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit. So when you are looking for a deacon, you're looking for a man who is led by the Spirit of God and is dignified by showing forth in his life the fruit of the Spirit. It's found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the dignified qualities flowing from a dignified man. You see, deacons are called first to be dignified, spirit-led men. Number two also comes from verse 8. Not double-tongued. What does that mean? That is saying one thing to one person and something else to another person. It's what we call speaking out of both sides of your mouth, right? Being a double-tongued man. And people speak out of both sides of their mouth in order to deceive. And deceit is something that can destroy a Christian community. When we look at the Old Testament, we find a story in 2 Kings 5. It's the story about Gehazi. Do you remember Gehazi? The Bible calls him the servant of Elisha, the man of God. 2 Kings 5, 19 through 27. And it says in that text that there was a man named Naaman, and Naaman and Elisha were speaking, they were talking, but after their conversation, Naaman went on his way and Elisha went on his way. But when that happened, after Naaman had gone just a short distance, the Bible says that Gehazi ran after Naaman. And he went to Naaman and he asked Naaman for several gifts. Well, Naaman was agreeable. He was glad to give those gifts to Gehazi. So he did. He, he gave Gehazi certain gifts. So Gehazi had gone to Naaman and then had returned back to the palace of the man of God, to the home of the man of God. And the Bible says when Gehazi returned and he stood before Elisha, Elisha asked him this question. He said, where have you been, Gehazi? Where did you go? And Gehazi answered, your servant went nowhere. Well, that was an absolute lie. But you see, what Gehazi didn't know is that Elisha already knew it was a lie. He knew that Gehazi had told Naaman one thing and that he was telling Elisha something completely different. He knew he was a double-tongued man speaking out of both sides of his mouth. And the Bible says from that day forward, Gehazi became a leper. 
Yes, Gehazi was a double-tongued man. His, his integrity, his consistency, his honesty just weren't there. And those were things that were so important to Elisha. And as this text says, it's so important that those characteristics be in a deacon. As Jesus would say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You can't tell Naaman one thing and Elisha something else. Don't be a double-tongued man. Why? Because deacons are called to be truthful men. Number three. Verse 8 says, not addicted to much wine. You know, as you read the qualifications of officers within the church, so many of them have to do with self-control. And this is one of them. This is a prime example of self-control. Did you know that statistics tell us that over 50% of murders, suicides, and accidental deaths in some way are related to the abuse of alcohol? In fact, one in four families have a problem with alcohol in their families. Now, look, this is clearly not a prohibition against drinking, but it is a prohibition against abusing alcohol. Paul says that in Ephesians, he says, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. These men are called to be spirit-filled, not drunk with wine. So we as a church, we cannot afford to be naive and we cannot afford to be silent about the effects of alcohol on the leaders within our church. Why? Because deacons are called to work with people. Oftentimes troubled people, broken people, people who do have certain addictions. So if deacons are not self-controlled specifically in this area of drink, the Bible says it could lead many other people astray. Why? Because deacons, this text says, are called to be self-controlled men. Number four. Again, verse eight. Deacons are not to be greedy. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. Here's a little bit about the context of which Paul is writing. You see, as Paul is writing to Timothy, the Bible says... There were false teachers there, and these false teachers put on a front. They put on a front of godliness to the world, but they did it for monetary gain. In fact, if you read further in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, it says they imagined godliness is a means of gain. In other words, they're only acting godly for the money. As Hunter mentioned a moment ago, he mentioned the example of Judas. And maybe Judas was in the back of Paul's mind as he's writing this text. Because as John 12 taught us, Mary poured that expensive perfume. And when she did, Judas publicly said, Why wasn't this money, or why wasn't this perfume sold for money and this money given to the poor? But John tells us that that was just a front. That was just a cover. Because he actually in his heart was a thief. And he wanted to secretly put his hand in the money bag. Judas was only in it for dishonest gain. He said what he said publicly for dishonest gain. 
And as we mentioned a moment ago, deacons are called to handle the money. Yet many of us, like Judas, money is an irresistible magnet. For many people, the burning passion of greed shines in their hearts, but it shines for nobody to see. It's hidden within their own hearts, as it was with Judas. He didn't shine that to the world. It was only in his heart. So this text says, before a man is considered for deacon, his financial integrity must be considered. If you remember the words of Samuel, this is, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3. This was Samuel's farewell address. The attitude of a deacon should be the same as that of Samuel. Listen to what Samuel says. He says, Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe? to blind my eyes with it. Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. Beloved, the Bible teaches us that deacons are called to be honest men. Number five, they're to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, says verse nine. Well, what does that mean? Simply put, not only do you need to believe and know the Scriptures, but you've got to live them out. John says it this way in his first epistle. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. You know that phrase, the walk, that's the the Bible's term for Christian living. Paul uses it everywhere. The walk, your daily walk, your day in, your day out, living in your relationship to God, your conduct. So a good question to ask when considering a deacon is this, how's his walk with Jesus? Is he faithful? Is he walking in love, truth, and faithfulness? Is he demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? You could actually ask this question. This comes directly from Ephesians chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter. You could say, is he walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which he's been called with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love? Church, that is an awesome responsibility. And it is a responsibility that nobody, starting with me, can do perfectly. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why humility is such a huge need there, because as Ephesians says, humility humility allows a man to acknowledge when when he's wrong, to take that step back, acknowledge when he's wrong, and to show his need for the truth of the gospel. It's an awesome responsibility. Deacons can't be in love with the world and with God. They can't have two masters. You remember Joseph when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife? He was a godly man. And there was a a temptation that came Joseph's way with Potiphar's wife. But when faced with temptation... He said these words. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That should be the hard attitude of living out your faith. Why? Because deacons are called, this text says, to be faithful men. Number six, verse 10 says, blameless. 
This has a lot of the same connotation as the first word we looked at, dignified. It means someone who is beyond reproach. Now, let's make sure we understand this. It does not mean perfect. It does not mean perfect. It means someone who has a good standing in his community. Someone who is living his life in such a way that no one from the outside can come up and accuse him of some heinous public sin. No one can point a finger at him for a consistent ungodly habit that he has in his life. Deacons are called to be blameless men. Number seven, we look at verse 11. And we see in verse 11 that Paul actually talks about qualifications, not just for the deacon, but also his wife, if indeed he is married. There's qualifications for wives. I think the Bible here assumes that because of the nature of the work of the diaconate and their nature towards other people, that oftentimes their wives might assist them in the nature of that work. So Paul teaches us that the wife of a candidate for deacon must also be considered as well. And he talks about four points concerning the wife. He says that she should be dignified, not a gossip, temperate and faithful. If you look at the text, verse 11. Dignified, we've talked about that, worthy of respect. Not a gossip, that means she's not involved in slandering and causing division, spreading false rumors. Temperate, meaning she has a balanced judgment, she's stable, she's self-controlled. Faithful, that means she's loyal, trustworthy, reliable. She's not going to defect from the faith. Number eight. Verse 12 says that he should be the husband of one wife. And if you look at this in the Greek, it literally says, it's talking about a, a man who is a one-woman man. So this does not require the candidate to be married, but it says if he is married, he should be loving and faithful to his wife only. That means that he should be above reproach in all other relationships that he has with other women. So if a candidate is married, this requires him to be faithful to his bride. Just as Jesus Christ was faithful to his bride, the church. See, let us never forget that the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And how did Christ love his bride? He loved her to the uttermost. Even when she, the church that is, sinned against him, he died for her. He was faithful unto death, even death on a cross. That's how Christ loved his church, loved his bride. So what the Bible is teaching us here is that if he's married, he should love only his wife, be faithful only to his wife, but even if the candidate is, not, is, is married or not married, this statement requires the candidate to have purity in thought, word, and deed as it relates to other women. Yes, a deacon is called to be a one-woman man. And then ninth, finally, the last point Paul makes. He says, managing his children and his household well. Again, let me say, this is not a statement saying that men 
should have a perfect marriage, they should be perfect fathers, and have a perfect home. That's not what this text is saying. If that was the requirement, none of us could serve in any office in the church. But this, this text does emphasize that the candidate should do this well or good. That is, be a responsible father, be a responsible husband who provides for his family and manages his family well, whether it's financially or mentally or emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually. That the home should be orderly, and those inside the home should follow his leadership. The man doesn't give his children spirit-crushing discipline, but he seeks to raise his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And again, what an awesome responsibility. You hear something like that, I hear something like that, it takes me to my knees, it humbles me. Because you see the weight of the awesome responsibility. That's why humility, I think, in any office, whether it's deacon or elder, is absolute key because it's the acknowledgement of, hey, I'm, I'm absolutely dependent upon God in my relationship with my wife, in my relationship with my children. I'm trusting God in everything that I'm doing. I'm leaning upon Him, showing that dependency. But this text teaches us that deacons are called not to be perfect, but to be good household managers. Beloved, those are nine qualifications. Let's read them one more time. Dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, blameless. We see the Bible talking even about the qualifications of wives, the husband of one wife and managing your children and your household well. And the Bible teaches us as a church that these things must be considered, these characteristics must be considered before a man serves as a deacon. You say, why? Why is that important? I want to close this morning with one more quote from Alexander Strzok. He says this, Deacons hold a distinct office of loving service to those who are in distress, to those who are dear to God's heart, as is so admirably illustrated for us in Acts chapter 6, the deacon's office is essential to the local church and to our witness for Christ. Deacons have the honor of modeling for the church and the lost world God's compassion, God's kindness, God's mercy, and God's love. When the local church compassionately cares for people's needs, the world sees a visible display of Christ's love, which will draw some people to the Savior. So every local church needs faithful, dedicated deacons who have Christ's compassionate heart for the needy. If you keep reading on in Acts chapter 6, again, it talks about the work of the disciples and then the work of the deacons. And it says, once the church started operating with elders and deacons, it says, even some priests got saved. Go look at the text. That this is the way God wants to set up his church through elders and deacons. And let me tell you that I am so grateful. I am so grateful for the deacons that we have here at Redeemer. These are spirit-led men. I love these men. And they love people as they are loving God. 
Yet every single August, we as a church come together and we have the opportunity to say, hey, where can our leadership grow? Who is God raising up in our church family right now to serve as deacons? Because we are looking for that opportunity. We are looking for new deacons right now. What is, men, what is God doing in your hearts? Who, who is God pointing you to in this congregation to serve as a deacon? Consider these character qualities. Consider what God is doing in our midst because I know we need more men to serve. And that's exactly what the office is. It's an office of service with sympathy and service towards one another just as Jesus Christ has served us. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to you Lord, first of all, again, I want to give you thanks for the deacons that you've raised up here at Redeemer. Uh, these spirit-led men, God-honoring men who meet these characteristics, qualifications. Yet, Lord, each year as we come to this month, at this time of nominating, we, we pray, Lord, what would you have us do next? Are there men within our congregation that, that you are raising up, Father, men with these qualities who are Men who were already showing these qualities, yet they haven't been uh, ordained to the office of deacon. Lord, are there those here who need to take that step towards being a deacon? I pray that you would work in their hearts and even in the hearts of those who might nominate them. And we commit that unto thee. And Father, our desire is that the leadership of this church not be you know, uh, what we just think best or, 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 or what maybe other churches do, we want our leadership to come straight from the Word of God. We want it to be exactly what you intended for your church to look like. And the only way to do that is faithfulness to the Scriptures. So, Lord, may these Scriptures penetrate our hearts and our minds. And may we have leadership that is God-honoring, biblical leadership. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you are able, please stand with us as we close our time together.